Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from The Dog's Know, written by John Snyderman. An amazing tale about crime-fighting sled dogs. Unbeknownst to all but a select few, Jim is a federal agent whose skills and sled dogs are often pressed into service to thwart criminals and foreign agents operating in Alaska and beyond. On short notice, he and his dogs must be prepared to sled or fly to hot spots to covertly perform their duty, train other handlers on a snow-covered mountaintop in Hawaii, or even provide eye candy for an impromptu presidential publicity event. As part of his cover, Jim teaches the art and science of dog sledding in Alaska. It is a team effort between the driver and the dogs. They must learn from each other and perform in perfect harmony. This story chronicles their actions as well as the magic between the dogs and the female veterinarian who talks to them. One must always listen to the dogs, too. They know. They always know. You just have to ask them the right way. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from The Dogs Know. Chapter 1 The dogs know. The dogs always know. Sometimes I just hang on for dear life and let them do what they do best. That day was no exception. The weather wasn't too bad, with light snow out of the north, and the winds only gusting to about twenty miles an hour or so. I kept checking the sky, because out there, as soon as some freaky-looking unusual balling up of the clouds made their ugly appearance, those dangerous, howling winds wouldn't be far behind. I kept my bearings to the distant pine trees at the bases of some mountains. I was keeping my eyes looking towards the less tall mountains. In this part of the country, anything above ten feet tall is considered a mountain. Sometimes a cluster of smaller mountains makes a better shield and will have more trees at its base. I felt the tug on the reins of my lead dog. He and I sensed the same danger at the same time. He wanted to turn the team slightly more westerly toward a tree line. I mentally calculated that distance versus those suddenly changing clouds. Good choice, I yelled. Take us to cover, Big Red. And that husky responded quickly. I was running a seven-dog team sled this time. The other six dogs followed Big Red's lead without missing a beat. Then they all kicked into high gear. They knew what to do. Sometimes you just have to hang on and let them do what comes natural to them. My educated guess, distance-wise, to that patch of dense pine trees was just over two miles. The dogs were now driving us about twenty-five miles per hour, or better. With the wind picking up and this type of snowpack beginning to ice over, the trek was getting harder on the dogs. Add in my weight as a counterbalance on the back of the sled, we were sliding around a tad. The rails wanted to bounce and skip more, instead of cruising right along on top of the snow. I could see the dogs eyeing their destination and straining a bit, but nothing serious. You can do the math here, folks. We should be to that refuge in a few minutes, hopefully, about ten or so. The cloud cover came down and the winds kicked up some more. The dogs began straining against that now new directional headwind. They know what to do. They put their heads down and fought harder. 
for those last few yards. The dogs led us into the pine tree grove and out of that biting wind. Any good dog sled driver must learn his dogs as the dogs must learn their driver. Sometimes that process can take a long time. I secured the sled to one of the trees and checked each dog as I unpacked their rations. Each dog was allowed four ounces of frozen salmon and about eight ounces of water. They had worked hard the last few miles and should sleep well. By the time I had unpacked their water supply, they were already beginning to burrow into the snow. I gave them water in separate containers, one by one. By the time I got to the last dog, I could retrace my steps and retrieve the bowls. They would probably sleep six to eight hours. Sometimes their water supply would be practically frozen. I would just break off chunks of the ice, and they always enjoyed the crunch. I watched the dogs do their own circular patterns over their bed areas. Then, with a distinct plop, they just fell into it, with their backs to the wind. As always, they stayed tethered. I cut off several lower branches from the pine trees and stuffed them under my sled. This was to provide insulation between my bed and the sled and any dampness of the snow. I installed two small plastic pipes along the side of the sled and slid them down to just barely inside those pine branches. If I was going to get buried under a huge heavy bearskin rug, those two tubes would provide an air supply if I needed it. I packed snow up against the sides of the sled and climbed into my bed for the night. Although I couldn't feel it directly, those winds were now up to blizzard strength. I could feel the trees shaking. I took a peek toward the dogs and saw little mounds of snow. They were already buried. I threw that heavy bearskin rug partially over me, loosened all of my tightly fitting clothes, and undid my boot ties. I pulled that rug up and over my head for a few minutes to test my air tubes. Yep, I said, smiling. Snug as a bug in a rug. I resisted the urge to look at my watch. Time was irrelevant anyway. Besides, most of the time I was a pretty good guesser. I closed my eyes and saw visions of the stars before those awful clouds had moved in. I basically knew the lay of the land and the distance we had traveled. My best guess time-wise was between 8 and 8.30 p.m. Out of curiosity, I checked my watch. It was 8.30 on the dot. It's really amazing in this part of the world how one manages their sleep patterns. Again, I refer back to the dogs. They can be buried under two feet of snow, yet seem to know when the sun rises or the moon sets. Usually, without a sound, they all rise at the same time. I have watched some dogs bury themselves in the snow to avoid the northern lights, especially when those green and yellow colors are splashing all over the skies. Those slower-moving light reds and swirling purples have the opposite effect. Those were my last thoughts as I drifted off. My dogs knew how to wake me and when. Always trust your dogs. My extrasensory perception and reflexes kicked in around midnight and I slowly opened my eyes. The prevailing nervous tension was there, and I listened to every sound. The wind was barely a whisper, and the pine tree that I had tied to my sled was motionless. 
I slid on one of my gloves and pushed gently up on the bearskin rug. There was enough resistance that I took a deep breath. I figured that there must be at least six inches of snow on top of me. I checked my watch just to verify my guess of time, because if I had been woken up by something at this time, the dogs probably had too. I lifted a corner of the bearskin rug just enough to get a peek at the dogs. That pile of snow on top of Big Red had not moved. I knew at this point that Big Red would not move unless prompted. The other mounds were still covered and had not been disturbed. I saw snowdrifts everywhere and figured we were buried just fine. I knew that we had been followed. The dogs knew it, too. If my followers had pushed their dogs hard enough through that rough weather, then they should have passed us during our three hours of sleep. If those idiots had come this way, and I'm sure that they would have because it was actually the shorter route, then they might not stop for another few miles. The wind was around ten miles per hour and blowing at my nose. I was glad of that as any scent and noises could not be detected. In the openness of this country, the dogs can sense others, sometimes up to ten miles. By five miles, those same dogs can most likely let the driver know if they are friend or foe. One must always listen to their dogs. I visualized and calculated my other possible routes. There was a remote possibility that they might have still been behind me. In that case, and again, the direction of the wind... I thought that we should just stay hidden where we were for another two hours or so. By dawn, wherever they might be, they would certainly be resting their dogs. There was nothing to do now except wait and listen. Their dogs would be hurting by then, and probably barking up a storm. I lowered my bearskin rug carefully and closed my eyes. I wondered why I was being followed. I am a special federal agent and have been one in this region for years. Although I was then on a covert mission, I would not consider it of earth-shaking or world-breaking importance. I thought that I had been followed from the start. I knew it for sure after the first five miles, when Big Red kept looking back. He had been looking past me every few minutes. One must know their dogs, and vice versa. As my lead dog, he wanted to change our route a couple of times, and I had let him do his thing. After the second change, he settled down. My mission was to be at a certain tiny Eskimo village north by northwest of here at a specific time to meet someone. Then, my team would meet another team, pulling a two-man sled that would follow us to the destination. That was the basic plan. Sorry, but that's all you are allowed to know. If it was not important to our government, then I would not have been here. Don't get me wrong. I'm a true patriot. I'm a military veteran. I'm a trained federal agent in this type of necessary work. It's the type of operation you will never hear about. That's why I live in the boonies with a bunch of dogs and love it. Just ask the dogs. They'll tell you the same thing. Enough humor. Back to reality. There it was. It was the first barks was close to 2 a.m. Those barks were not good for two reasons. First, they were not the type of bark that an experienced musher wants to hear. That type of bark was one of exhaustion. Those dogs needed to have food, water, and rest. Hopefully they'd make it out of this valley pass before some of them died. 
Secondly, those barks gave away their position. I lifted a corner of my covering and checked my dogs. They knew not to move, and they didn't. I could just make out some movement at the far edge of the valley. It almost made me sick to watch. Those dogs were running hard. The drivers did not know their dogs or the area. I plotted my new route in my head. I'd need that team to be way ahead of me so I could backtrack a few miles. At least my dogs would be fresh, aware, ready, and alert. I watched that exhausted team go past me about 80 yards away. My dogs never twitched a muscle, but I knew the Big Red and the others had their noses working overtime, and their ears were probably up too. As that team raced out of the valley, I checked my watch as well as the wind direction. I could not take any chance of our scent being detected. The wind was from the wrong direction right now. We had no recourse but to wait. Up here in the far north, that wind could change in a minute, or an hour, or whatever. I set my watch alarm for thirty minutes hence and closed my eyes. In my mind, I plotted our new route. I remembered a route between two low mountains, but I certainly could not be sure of the weather or snow conditions there. That trail route would only take us out of the way less than five miles. We could make one other change and be on the right trail after that. My alarm went off and I quietly cleared the snow off of my sled and retrieved the plastic pipes. I untied the sled from the tree and dug out the snow around the sled. The dogs unburied themselves without a whimper and I got them some food and water. We were ready to go in our usual fourteen minutes of prepping. I pointed Big Red in the right direction, but he looked at me questioningly, put his nose up, sniffed the air, twitched his ears. Then I guess he figured it was time to go, and off we went, slowly and quietly. We had backtracked a couple of miles when Big Red stopped the team. He looked confused. We had been on this particular trail before last year, and I think he must have remembered. He looked at me, and I pointed the way. He started out just fine. I had noticed a slight change in the character of the snow. It wasn't much, but I didn't like it. We were supposed to follow this trail for at least another mile. Then there was a sharp turn, and the trail narrowed. Big Red stopped the team again about eighty yards from that sharp turn. He did not want to continue. I tied the reins to my upper crossbar and walked forward, still noticing the peculiar feel of the snow underfoot. I petted Big Red, told him to hold the team, and I walked ahead to the edge of that turn in that narrow pass. There were tons of snow hanging over the trail, and I did a quick double-take and whistled quietly to myself. Those were avalanches in the making. Given the consistency of the snow I hadn't liked, those avalanches could come down at any time. I truly believe that Big Red saved us all from certain death. You always have to listen to your dogs. We had no choice in the matter. We had to backtrack another few miles. We left those hanging death traps very slowly and quietly. Big Red had his nose up sniffing the air and his ears pointed straight up, and I was still checking the snow. Something was still not right. Hopefully, it was just the danger we had left behind. 
In a few hours, the sky would be dancing colors. The stars were already beginning to shine and twinkle. One could reach out and almost grab them. The days in this far north country were very short that time of year. The rest of the trip was mostly flat terrain, and we coasted along doing about 20 miles per hour on an 18 to 24 inch snowpack. We could almost see our destination, well, in my mind anyway. I just hung on and let the dogs do what they do best. That Eskimo village was just around the next bend and a few more large hills. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from The Dogs Know. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.